Well, good morning, everybody. I bring you greetings from the Panton Community Baptist Church, which is about halfway up the state on Vermont's west coast. We are on the uh, shores of Lake Champlain, and uh, I want to tell you, uh, we love this little fellowship here in Wilmington. We pray for you guys uh, very often, and we feel a real affinity to you. Um, So this morning, I want to bring a message from God's Word, um, and it's about Jesus. I want to I read through an account in one of the Gospels about Jesus and kind of bring you through it step by step, and we'll, no, we'll notice a few things, and then at the end I want to come and say, okay, how does this apply to us today? To make it real for 2019, what do we do with the passage? So a little exposition and then a little application. Okay, you with me? Yeah, you like that? That's good? Yeah. I like to have a little involvement, right? To keep you awake, because I know it can be a little... Anyway. So, um, first off, I want to ask a question. What are you afraid of? What fears do you have? Um, I I looked on the internet uh, about fear, and a list came up of hundreds of phobias. Like, arachnophobia means you're afraid of spiders. Uh, I made a couple things here. Uh, Acrophobia. Heights. Heights. Um, Ecclesiophobia. What's ecclesiophobia? Fear of the church. I'm afraid of the church. They have a term for that. Um, Homilophobia. The fear of homilies, the fear of sermons. Maybe you're afraid of the sermon this morning, and halfway through you're going to get scared and go running out. I hope not. Uh, my favorite, of course, is emetophobia. Emetoph- Anybody know what emetophobia is? Wes? No. Fear of throwing up. <laughs> so sometimes I get a little nervous, and I, so anyway, I try to have a little humor in my sermons. I think that's kind of fun. But we, you know, seriously, in our lives, we all have fears. There are everyday fears and phobias that we have as we go through our lives. And then there are the ultimate fears that we have that, that can be paralyzing. The fear of, of, of a loved one being lost, being separated from them in some way. Uh, the fear of divorce, maybe. The fear of loss of a child. The fear of sickness. The fear of cancer. The fear of death. So you have your practical, everyday fears that we all struggle with. Things we worry about. And things that can sometimes occupy our mind. And then there are the ultimate things. Today's sermon is called, Rise Up and Have No Fear. Rise Up and Have No Fear, and it's based upon a short passage in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. If you have a Bible, uh, if you have a phone, uh, turn it on, uh, open to Matthew 17. And as you're doing that, I want to ask you another question. When you think about Jesus, when you think about when he was a man walking on the earth, walking around, doing good things, what picture comes into your mind? What do you think of? 
for many of us, we think of Jesus with this little halo around his head, right? And there's uh, the, the church that I uh, serve in um, started in 1794, and there's a whole bunch in the back. There's a whole bunch of old paintings of Jesus, and there, there used to be one where he's sitting with a bunch of children, and you know it's Jesus because he's glowing, and there's a halo around his head. There's another, he's going through the crowds, and a whole bunch of people are swarming and jamming around him, and you know it's Jesus because he's glowing. I don't think it was that way. I don't think it was that way at all. I think that for the most part, uh, Jesus' visage, his countenance, was like an everyday person. The book of Isaiah 53 says, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I think he looked like everybody else, going about his business in a world of sorrow, in a world of disappointment, in a world of loss, in a world of sickness, in a world of death. He looked like everybody else. But then, every now and then, you see the curtain is pulled back and you get a vision, a picture, a glimpse of who Jesus really is in all his glory. And that's called, in Matthew 17, the transfiguration. And that's what I want to bring you this morning. Eight verses about the transfiguration. I want to read through it now. And I want you, I'm going to read through it slowly. And, and we in Panton, we think there's great value in hearing God's word and just letting it soak in. Sometimes I get done reading a passage, I don't even want to say anything. I feel like I'm going to ruin it because it's so beautiful. So let me read these eight verses, Matthew 17, uh, 1 through 8, the transfiguration. Brothers and sisters, hear God's word. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Behold, Matthew writes, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came. And he touched them. And he said, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one 
They saw no one but Jesus. This is God's word. Okay. A few thoughts to kind of break down this passage. Uh, Verse 1, we we have the scene. We have Peter, James, and John. Uh, They were probably the most intimate with Jesus of the 12 disciples. Jesus brings them up on a high mountain. It's traditionally Mount Tabor. Some people say it might have been Mount Hermon. Not sure. Up on a high mountain. Now in Scripture, if you know your Bibles, you'll know that throughout the Old Testament, when you go up on a high mountain, it's a place to meet God. That's where God kind of comes and he, and he kind of hangs out. He, he, it's a place to meet God. So Jesus brings them up there. And uh, they're by themselves. They, they have some alone time with Jesus. It's an, an, an intimate time of fellowship with Jesus. And as the story unfolds, we see that Jesus' glory is manifest. Now, here's something else that's very interesting. In Matthew's Gospel, a few chapters later, in chapter 26, we have these same three people. Jesus takes them out, and this time, they're in the garden. And Jesus is anticipating the cross, and he's, he's, he's praying to his Father, Father, if there be any other way, and Peter, James, and John are right with him. And Jesus is in agony, it says. He prayed, and it's like his sweat was like great drops of blood. He was in such an agony as he anticipated the cross. So it's interesting when you compare the two. In one story, in one encounter, they see Jesus' glory. And in the other, they see his suffering. Suffering and glory go together. You can't have one in Scripture without the other. Suffering and glory go together. When Peter wrote his first letter, 1 Peter, five chapters, every chapter talks about, guess what? Suffering and glory. And Peter was the guy to see it both. So just a little aside on that. Suffering and glory, suffering and glory go together. And then in verse 2, he was transfigured before them. When Jesus came to earth, His glory was veiled. And in this little scene, we see the the curtain drawn aside for a moment, and we see who Jesus really is. The word is is apocalypse. it, It means unveiling. There's a whole book in the Bible that's called the apocalypse, the revelation, the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In that book, in that last book, we see the veil brought fully back and we see who Jesus really is in all his glory, in all his splendor, in all his wonder. Here is just a little glimpse, same word used, the apocalypse of Jesus. Mark's gospel, who talks about this in chapter 9, says his clothes were dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Luke says, he was bright as the flashing of lightning. Another translation says, he had the radiance of the stars. He was transfigured. They see Jesus as he really is, and that veil is briefly drawn aside, and they see his glory. John in chapter 1 verse 14 talks about the word, talks about Jesus. The word became flesh. He dwelt among us and we have seen his 
glory. That's what John's referring to in John chapter 1, verse 14. He's talking about this time. We have seen his glory. And now verse 3. Two guys show up with him. Moses and Elijah. Now how do you suppose that Matthew and the other guys knew that it was Moses and Elijah? You think they had like name tags? I work in a, I actually have a full-time job. I work in an aerospace company, and we have to have name tags, and there's all these rules and regulations about the name tags. They have to be above the waist. They have to be visible at all times. Your name has to be seen. Do you suppose that's what happened then? They had name tags? How did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? I think that's interesting. How did they know, Joe? Was it name tags? I don't know the answer. I think, however, I think, however, that this scene here, when you really, when you take a step back and you see the scene, they're on the mount, the place of God. Jesus is transfigured. He's dazzling white, whiter than any any bleach could bleach. You have these two Old Testament saints. One didn't die. One died. They're brought to life. They're in resurrection glory. I think it's a picture of the resurrected state in the future. And I think, I think we'll know each other. I think we'll know each other. I think we'll know each other in heaven. I love that. And you know what they were doing? They were talking, right? What does it say? Look at the scripture, what does it say? Verse 3, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. They were talking. They were having a dialogue. They were having a discussion. And what were they talking about? It doesn't say here. Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't it be fantastic to know what they were talking about? Wouldn't it be great to to somehow go back 2,000 years and know what they were speaking about? To know what the subject of the discussion was? Well, guess what? Luke's gospel tells us. Luke's gospel says, in chapter 9, they spoke about his departure that he would accomplish and which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. They spoke about his departure. What were they talking about? They're talking about the cross. The subject of their discussion was the cross. There they were on the high mountain. Jesus is all in dazzling white. Moses and Elijah appear. And of all things, what were they talking about? They were talking about the cross. They were talking about what Jesus would suffer. They were talking about what Jesus would accomplish. All of eternity past pointed forward to that one event. All of eternity future looks back to that one event. The cross. That's what they were talking about. And then we have two responses, right? We have Peter in verse 4. Peter has the first response. He says, oh, it's good that we're here. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make three shelters and we'll all kind of hang out together. Right? They didn't have big tents back then. They couldn't go to Sears or REI and buy big tents. They had these little tents that they were going to hang out in. And Peter says, this is really cool. This is really good. I really love this. Let's together hang out and I'll make three tents for you. 
Now, some scholars over time have given Peter a really hard time about it and say, oh, what a numbhead. What is he thinking, right? Well, that doesn't fit. That doesn't make any sense. But it was, at the time, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. So this idea of making three tabernacles from the Old Testament may have been in his mind. But what I really like and what I really enjoy and what really touches my heart is what Peter says first. It is good for us to be here. Oh, man. It's good for us to be here. It's good for us to be with Jesus. It's good for us to see him in glory. It's good for us to see the resurrected saints from the Old Testament. It's good for the focus on the cross. And then the Father speaks. God the Father in verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So God speaks from heaven, and they hear the words, and God expresses his utter delight and satisfaction in Jesus, his son. His son. There's this idea in scripture of sonship. Sonship. And we don't understand it in our day today so much. If you were, in, back in the day of Jesus, if you were a carpenter, what would your son do for a living? He'd be a carpenter. The father would teach him the trade, slowly, methodically, patiently with him, teach him the trade until the, the son could do everything that the father did, maybe even better. If your name was Stradivarius and you were a violin maker, your son would be a violin maker, and you'd teach him about the woods and the grains and the varnishes, and he would be a violin maker. So you would say, oh, he's his father's son because he does the works of the father. So I have a son here, yeah, and, and you know, back in my day, a hundred years ago, I was a pretty good runner. I used to run. This guy has outshadowed me, he's a runner. It delights my heart to see him run. He's bought a house over the mountain over in Woodford, and now he calls me up and said, Dad, guess what project I'm working on? Dad, guess what tools I've bought? Dad, guess what I'm doing? And I love it. It brings me delight. It makes me so happy to see him doing things that I do because I work on stuff all the time. But even more so, he calls me up and he says, Dad, you're not going to believe it. They've asked me to be part of the leadership team in this little church, Valley Town. And my heart is thrilled. Dad, I'm hosting a men's group. And I'm helping people understand the Bible. Dad, I'm preaching this Sunday. And my heart overflows in delight and gladness that particularly spiritually, he's, quote, following in my footsteps. Think of God the Father and Jesus. His delight was, his, was in his son because the son perfectly and completely did the father's works. Sonship. The father is completely satisfied and his utter delight is in his son Jesus. 
And then what happens? How, how are we doing for time? How long do I go? Two o'clock? It's 10.50. How much time do I have? Get, get done now? A few more minutes? Okay, good. Verse 6. What happens? When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. When you stand in the presence of Jesus in all his glory, you can't help but hit the deck. His presence overwhelms you. You see the same thing in, in Revelation chapter 1. John, the same John, same guy. He sees Jesus and he falls at his feet as dead. So they fall to the ground and they're absolutely and utterly terrified. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> what does Jesus do? Jesus came. He walked over to right where they were. He probably left Moses and Elijah. Hey guys, I, I got to go take care of something. You guys keep talking. He came to where they were. And it says he reached down and he touched them. The Lord of glory, the creator and sustainer of the universe comes to those three terrified disciples to where they are. He reaches down and he touches them and he pulls them to their feet. And he says, rise up and have no fear. This is essential Jesus. If you know nothing else about Jesus, he comes to where you are. He touches you and he brings you to his feet and he takes away your fear. And what happens? The very last verse of the passage today, the result is in verse 8. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. He fills their vision and everything else fades away. And he is the preeminent one. Okay, that's the passage, right? That's, you're with me on all this. You understand what's happening. You can picture it in your head. What do we do with it today? We're in 2019. How does any of this apply? Is any of this real? Is any of this true? Well, I, I want to be very honest with you. I think this whole little passage here, these eight verses, is sort of a metaphor for our Christian life. It kind of describes our Christian life. And here's what I mean by that. You know, our, our faith has to work in the world today. It has to work. And we look around and we experience the fact that we still have fears, don't we? He didn't take them all away. I thought he was going to take them all away. You say, no, the reality is we still have fear. We still have losses. We still get sick and die. We still lose people. How does it work? How does it work? If you look at the pat passage in context, Brian talked about making sure we look at the Bible in context. We see that before this passage and after, the, after this passage, Matthew talks about suffering. 
16.21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed. Talks about suffering. Uh, and then Jesus, it's personal suffering he's talking about, and then he applies it to his disciples. In 16.24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and my sake will find it. This idea of, of suffering and losing your life and taking up your cross. Same thing in, in, in afterwards. It's suffering. So what we see in this patch, passage in a big picture is we have this unbelievable glimpse of Jesus' glory surrounded by suffering. And isn't that what our lives are today? We're in this world. You can't look at the news but see suffering and tragedy. It's all around us. It's within this church. It's within the Panton church. It's everywhere. Just because you trust Jesus doesn't mean all these things go away. But if we and our time left here can get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus like these apostles did, it makes all the difference. That glimpse of Jesus will allow us and help us as we go about our business here, immersed in the cares and suffering of this world, every now and then, if we get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus, it sustains us and helps us to keep going. Second thing, we have a God that communicates with us and is not silenced. We have a speaking God that's not true of other religions. We have a God that speaks. God's voice speaks from heaven and says, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Hear him. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, the writer of Hebrews says, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. If you understand the Greek language, it says God has spoken to us in Son. The idea is the way that God communicates is with the language of Jesus. It's not English, it's not French, it's not Latin, it's not Greek. God speaks to us in the language of Jesus. And Jesus is the Word of God. So God speaks to us today through Jesus, primarily through the Word of God. I, don't want to, I want to encourage you today. Spend time in God's word. Hear the voice of Jesus. When we encounter the fears of everyday life, we have a God. We have Jesus who puts his arm around us and says, Dear little sheep, I love you. I care for you. I gave my life for you. I am the good shepherd. Cast your cares on me. And then we can respond. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And your rod and your staff comfort me. So we have a God who speaks to us through Jesus. Secondly, or thirdly, we have a God that seeks us. Remember what Jesus did in the passage? They hit the deck, they're on the ground, they're quaking with fear. And Jesus goes to where they are. 
and he reaches down, he makes physical contact with them. Most world religions today point the way to God and say, okay, there's the path, that's how you go, here's the prophet to follow, you want to have a relationship with God, go that way. Not Christianity. Christianity says, Jesus says, I am God and I've come to find you. You don't have to go seek me. I've come to seek and to save the lost. Christianity says, I've come to find you. I've come to rescue you. I've come to save you. I've come to love you. I've come to nurture you in the person of Jesus. So in our fear, we have Jesus who comes to where we are and he rescues us. We have a God, next to last, we have a God who suffered. Once again, there's no other religion in the world that says they have a God who suffered. It's only Christianity that says we have a suffering God. He suffered in his life. He had temptation. He had hunger. He had betrayal. He had the loss of friends. And he suffered in his death. He suffered physically at the hands of man. He was beaten, he was scourged, he was whipped, he was spit upon. Then he went to the cross and he was nailed to the cross. And he hung between heaven and earth and bore our sins. We have that physical part of it. But then, but then there's something even more. Those three hours of darkness when God turned his back on his beloved son, the son of his love, the one he was delighted and satisfied in. That relationship was broken. One of the biggest fears that you and I have today is a broken relationship. If we date someone maybe for a couple of weeks and they say, you know, I can't stand your ugly face and I'm out of here. We're heart, our heart, we kind of feel it a little bit, but we move on. If we've been married for 10 years and our spouse says, I'm out of here. You're not meeting my needs. It hurts and we suffer. The broken relationship you have to understand the broken relationship between Jesus and his Father. They enjoyed each other in the Trinity for eternity past. They delighted each, in each other. They had the love that was the purest possible love that they could ever have. And then Jesus says, I will go. I will go to the cross. I will take on sin. And the separation happens. And Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a relationship broken. No other God does that. Only Jesus. So in our fears, in our suffering, here in this world, we have a Savior that understands and sympathizes with us because he experienced the same things that we do. Have you lost somebody? Jesus lost somebody. Have you suffered betrayal in your life where someone betrayed you? Jesus was betrayed. Have you had your prayers not answered by God? Jesus knows what, that, what that's like. We have a Savior and a God that we can approach because he understands what we go through because he suffered. And finally, we need in our lives to see the glory of Jesus. The whole scene, 
on the mount speaks of resurrection. You have Jesus in resurrection glory. You have Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament brought to life, and they're talking with him. And they're talking about his suffering and his death. We need to see the glory of Jesus. There's a little verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes, And we all, with unfailed face, behold the glory of the Lord and are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The point of the verse is, if we can get a glimpse of Jesus, it will fundamentally change us. We will be transformed by that. How do we cope with the fears and disappointments of this life? We spend time with Jesus. We think about the Mount of Transfiguration and the focus on the cross and how everything is accomplished and everything is completed. We consider the restoration of all things and the resurrection. We hear his voice. We hear his words. We're satisfied and we're delighted by the Son because he did it all for us. He accomplished it all. And with that, with that encouragement, we can rise up and have no fear. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this message from, uh, from Matthew so long ago, this account of the transfiguration. Uh, Father, help us to rise up and have no fear through what your Son has done and what your Son is doing in our lives. Help us to be satisfied and delighted in him as we go about in this world. We pray that we might have a glimpse of his glory to help us to encourage us, and to sustain us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.